Hi, this is Amanda. And this is Lindsay. We're True Creeps. Where the stories are true. And the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore. To the possibly plausible paranormal. To horrifying history. To tense and terrible true crime. And everything else that goes bump in the night. We want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Valo update. We said it last time, but today we are going to go over a couple small updates with Valo, but we're going to focus more on some of the other characters surrounding the case and what's come out with them in the last couple months. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's probably going to take the bulk of this episode as well. So we're going to be focusing mainly on like a side story that was happening in the background, kind of. Yeah, yeah. But some of the other terrible things that Lori Vallow probably instructed, right? Or or came up with. Yeah, I mean, I feel like she was definitely involved with what happened. I don't know if she instructed so much as she heavily suggested. Yeah, she's part of it, though. Her and Chad. Yeah, I just assume that she's in on everything because we've said it before. We'll say it again. There's too much weird shit that surrounds her for her to not be, I don't know, in on it. <laughs> and on everything. Everything bad that's happened in the last couple of years is her fault. Yeah. Also, as a side note, I am getting over being sick, so I do have kind of a funny voice, so I apologize. Amanda, I think your voice sounds lovely. Well, if I sound congested, guys, <laughs> that is why, because I am. <laughs> so let's just get into it. So we're going to start with filings, which there really wasn't many filings. Uh, I would say the most notable filings had to do with the amended protective order that we talked about in our last update that had to do with the hearing that happened in January, which basically specified that Mark Means cannot share information that was learned through discovery with anybody that didn't already have access to the discovery. Interesting. We kind of knew that was coming, but it is what it is. Yeah. Also, Justin Lum released body cam footage from Zulema from December from 2019. And so there was a cop that was asking about the kids and she said something about not having an idea. And then the cop said, I don't think that's entirely true. And maybe you're concerned with what can happen to you. That's not verbatim, but that's the gist. And she said, I have nothing to be afraid of or be scared of whatsoever. None. And I mean, like, if I had the power to control storms, I probably also wouldn't be scared of other people. What I found interesting is this is the first time that you really see a cop, though, not uh, back away in a sense. They're like, mm, no, you know more than you're letting on. And I was just like, yes. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure there's a lot more of that happening than we're seeing, because although they think they're criminal masterminds, they are not. <laughs> I think early on, more so, that he was like, oh, you're a secondary character to this, but like, don't lie to me. I don't think so. No, because I think that they were like, Alex Cox, we see you. And then therefore were like, Mrs. Alex Cox, what do you know? She was with him. Like, she married him. So clearly, like, she's at the very least complicit in murdering someone who knows where missing children are. Yeah, yeah. I'm more comparing this in my head to one when Charles was murdered and how the cops treated them, right? Yeah. And didn't even like push. Oh, that's what happened? Great. I get that they went down to the station and were interviewed after. I get that. And then also in Rexburg, when they first went for the well-being check, right? When Lori was like, oh, they're fine. Everything's great. They're like, oh, great. Cool. Okay. They just didn't have any like push, I guess. So I was like, oh, that's great. And then the way that she stopped that sentence too, I have nothing to, she stops for a second and then switches and says, be afraid of. So it's like, what were you going to say? Yeah. 
I have nothing to do with that. You know, like maybe she didn't know something happened. Like what did she pivot to in that moment? Yeah. Well, and also like this could be where police are like, hmm, perhaps it's time to think about who are we going to offer immunity to? That's true. Because when you're looking at people who are likely going to rat each other out, her connection with this family just died. That's true. And there's nothing to protect her. And she owes no allegiance to them, right? She doesn't have like kids with Alex that they would be related to or anything like that. And then they told her that they were going to take Alex's truck. Yeah. And they ask her for the keys and she's like, oh, I'm going to go call my lawyer. And they're like, "Okay, well, we are going to be taking the truck. It'll be a lot easier if you get the keys now. Like they were not taking anything. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't a can we? Yeah. Yeah. It's we're taking this right now. Do you want to make it easier? No. Yeah. So just an interesting interaction. And it is satisfying that like every couple weeks now we're getting a little more of a glimpse of what was happening in Arizona, at least. Yeah. I know that when you're looking back, I would say before the past six months, you looked back and kind of went, what the hell was everybody doing? Was everyone's head in the sand? And I'm so glad to see that like there was movement happening. It's just that they were treading lightly and quietly. Yeah, for sure. Also, in the month of January, there was a 2020 special that had aired on the 21st. And this one wasn't as interesting as their others. But I think for those that are just now getting introduced to the case, it's like a good starting out point Mm -hmm. because of some of the viewpoints that they took. They played a lot of old footage from Janice Cox, which is Lori's mother. And they showed a little video clip of the conference where Chad and Lori met and Lori's in the crowd. So that's something new that I hadn't seen before. Like I knew where they met, but it was more like, oh my gosh, that's minutes or, you know, hours before they met for the first time. And it just kind of, oh, it makes you think. It's gross because now their first interaction in my head (laughs) is Chad's like retelling of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like, like, it makes me queasy. You could see her outfit, Lindsay, sort of. The black leggings. (laughs) Like, if I was like a person who was in his life, I'd be like, I'm never wearing black leggings near him again. (laughs) I don't know what it is about them. Speaking of Chad's erotica, they shamed it again. Like, everything's shamed it. And it's just, it's funny to me. As they should. Yeah. If you're going to write smut, at least write it well. (laughs) Well, they said how poorly written it was, and they compared it to something that you would find under a 17-year-old's mattress. I think that's generous. <laughs> they also had a quick interview with Stephen Ellsworth, and that was Charles's attorney that Charles shared a lot of Lori's beliefs with, and also is the one that he mentioned, well, if I'm killed, Lori did it. Yeah. So imagine being that person, though, with that, like, oh my gosh, he wasn't being, like, dramatic. She did kill him. Well, I'm sure that he also knew a lot more about their relationship than really anybody else, because I doubt Charles would be that candid with Kay. There's only so much you're going to tell your sibling if you want your child to be able to see that person still. That's true. Because it didn't seem like he was ever trying to take JJ away from Laurie. Right. And unless he was going to like sever that tie between the two of them, he wouldn't have told family members just how out there her beliefs were becoming. That's true. They also did review the timeline of how Alex would have been the shooter for Brandon's attempted murder. And we are going to talk about that more in a bit. Boy, are we. So also in this special, they had an interview with Adam. And just as a reminder, Adam is Lori and Alex's brother. And so he says that his family is nothing like it used to be. And that they're kind of divided on what happened. And I think that we could kind of tell that already because Janice never seemed to like waver in her support of Laurie. 
Right. And then Adam also recounts that when he talks to his mom, she acts as though this is how Laurie has always been. And they also show old footage of her saying that. And we've seen it a few different times because I feel like every special likes to show that. Yeah. And it's more just her saying like, no, I mean, Laurie isn't all that different. She's still a good mother. She's still doing her things. Like, I think she just had a blindfold on. Like, no, my daughter couldn't possibly be crazy or adopting these strange beliefs. She's just going through a thing and everything's fine. Everything's great is kind of how I interpret it. She seems very much like a we must keep our family secrets secrets kind of gal. So yeah. But so he also talked about his relationship with Alex and said that Alex was a loner. And whenever Laurie invited him over, he would always go. And I don't think we've mentioned this before, but Alex was a stand-up comedian. And Adam talked about how he was good at that. And he was really talented. And that if he had worked a little harder at it, he may have been able to take it further, but he never put enough into it. And he also talked about how Alex and Charles were good friends, which like, (sighs) yeah. And also, I mean, I think that's likely one of the ways that Laurie maybe was able to manipulate Alex then. Because if she said, like, here, you are friends with him, but you don't know him. This is who he really is. Wouldn't you feel like (gasps) as like if your sibling said that? Exactly. Also, Adam talks about how when he was reluctant to believe that Laurie was a translated being that she cut off ties with him. Yeah. She's just like, you don't believe me? Fine. You're out of my life. Yeah. Kick rocks. I'm translated, baby. And so he tried to discuss this with his mom and she said she didn't hear about any of the beliefs and that Laurie was fine. And like, if that's not putting your head in the sand, I don't know what it is. And so Adam wanted to help Laurie. He wasn't trying to shame her for her beliefs. He was like trying to raise his hand and go like, something's wrong. Yeah. But nobody would help him. And he was one of the only people in his family who was like, something's wrong. We need to like do something because something is going to happen. And like nobody wants to be right in that way. Right. And like he wanted to help Charles and he thought that Charles also wanted to help Laurie. Like he saw that in him. And so that hurts my soul that he probably like saw what Alex did to him and was like, what have you done? Yeah. He also reviewed the timeline from the day Charles died and their plan intervention. And so the last time we talked about this, it was his son's point of view, Adam's son, Zach. And when Adam was asked, do you believe Laurie killed her kids? And he said, actually killing them? No, I believe Alex and Chad killed them. They asked him why. And he said, Alex and Laurie are in this mindset that they are doing this for God. As Laurie tells Alex something and Alex believes it. And so for Alex to kill them, he had to have been in that frame of mind that this is for the Lord. This is God's work, which doesn't make any sense to anybody watching right now. But I'm sure in their minds, that's the only way that one could do it because I don't know how else anybody could do that. And that feels fair, right? Yeah, their beliefs just like got away from them and they're like, I'm doing the right thing because how else in anyone's mind could you harm a child? I still don't understand how they harmed a child, but I'm saying from Adam's point of view, he has to have like a reason, right? Like that was his niece and nephew. For sure. For sure. Also, this is one of the last things we're going to discuss about this, but Adam wears a bracelet at all times. It has Tylee and JJ's names. And just an interesting note. At the end of the interview between Rob Wood and Summer Shiflet and Summer, who's Adam, Laurie, Alex, they're all siblings. She talks about having like hundreds of these little little rubber bracelets that had like JJ and Tylee's names on it. And it kind of looks like it might be one of those. But so I remember that interview, they were talking about like all of the people in law enforcement wanted to wear those bracelets to like honor them. So it's a sweet thing to see that like... For them, as much as they hate what Laurie did, like this case is still so much about what they've lost. Yeah. Not about who's done it. That's true. Yeah. He lost a niece and a nephew. Summer did too. 
Yeah. I think Adam at least was trying to fix the situation more while Summer and her mom were like turning a blind eye. Oh, everything's great. Everything's fine. Everything's okay. And he's like, wait a minute, like something's going down and we need to fix it. Yeah. And it just makes me sad. Yeah. Like he doesn't live in Arizona and he tried his best. He even flew out here, you know? Yeah. Okay. So let's go into a little bit of Brandon Boudreaux, right? And again, Brandon Boudreaux is Melanie Pulowski slash Boudreaux's ex-husband. So what we're going to discuss is Gilbert Police Department's detective, Ryan Pillar, his account of what was going on. And just as a reminder, he was the lead investigator into Brandon Boudreaux's case, but he also worked with the Idaho police when JJ and Tylee went missing and then also when Tammy died. So he's been around a lot. He's in the mix for sure. Mm hmm. So the investigation report includes things, too, like the timeline of events when Chad had emailed the document about everyone being light and dark and what number they were given, all that weird stuff. It also has a good bit of redaction, but we tried to go through as much as we could of it. There are notes in there that Charles believed that Lori was manipulating Melanie into divorcing Brandon. So on top of all the things that she was saying, like she probably had Lori in her ear telling her what to do and say. On July 13th of 2019, Lori texted Chad asking him to clear Melanie's house of bad spirits, whatever that means. Chad said that he was working on breaking down the bad spirits that Brandon had created. So already there's information to show that they were like, we need Brandon out of the picture because somehow he doesn't fit into our weird plans. So the reason I bring this stuff up is because I think it's interesting to note that one, Lori was kind of like the puppet master in a sense between what Melanie was doing and how she felt about Brandon. Mm -hmm. Also, that Lori and Chad were like working on clearing Melanie's house of bad spirits, supposedly created by Brandon. This could be the beginning proof. I mean, we have more proof. We'll talk about it. But the beginning proof that they were setting Brandon up to be killed. Yeah, I agree. And so these absolute criminal masterminds. On October 1st, 2019, Alex's Gmail account searched for Brandon's new rental address. It also looks like he searched the name of the complex based on like the redaction in the report. This was 13 hours before the attempted murder of Brandon. On October 2nd, just a few minutes past 7.15 in the morning, Alex searched for the complex name again and then got directions from his current location. Idiot. That morning, Brandon left his home at 725 with his four kids and then got back home a little bit after 9 a.m. He noticed the Jeep and then saw the rear window go down and the muzzle of a firearm poke out. Horrifying. And it was aimed at his vehicle and then fired. Fortunately, it just hit the front driver's side of Brandon's vehicle, which is a little too close for me. Yeah. In the time following the shooting, Alex's vehicle was leaving the site and he communicated with Chad and Laurie and they could tell from his records. So later that evening, Laurie's Gmail searched for the following. Man shot in Gilbert, Arizona. Man shot in Gilbert, Arizona, October 2nd, 2019. And then news, Brandon Boudreaux. Biological evidence confirmed that Alex was in the Jeep Wrangler and the Jeep Wrangler's back window had gunshot residue, which indicates a firearm was shot from the vehicle's rear. So the weird thing is, for the longest time, right, because Melanie's denied it, that Alex had nothing to do with the shooting of Brandon in interviews forever ago. Yeah. But one, it was never... I guess, officially confirmed yeah. that it was Alex in this Jeep and that, it, you know, of course it was Charles's Jeep, but we're calling it Alex's. But it's just crazy how many times it is like on video, them denying that they had anything to do with this. And it's abundantly clear. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, it's wild. 
also in Pilar's incident report. He had that on September 17th of 2019, Brandon provided Melanie with his new rental address. So the address, that's how they got it. The address was only known by a few people, and Melanie was one of them, in relation to Alex and Laurie and such. Melanie had visited Idaho in late September, and then between September 25th and September 30th, Alex, Laurie, and Chad prepped for Brandon's murder. And it's pretty clear that they were doing that because they did things like tinting the Jeep's window, removing the back seat, removing the back wheel, storing the items, and then Alex went to the shooting range, and they began using burner phones. And you just mentioned Melanie visited Idaho pretty much during that time, September 26th through the 29th. So it was very easy for all of them to prep for this. But remember, she knew nothing about it. I'd also like to point out that means that she knew that the kids weren't there. Uh, Yeah, right. If she's there during that time, that is after the last time either one of the children were seen. For sure. And then just speaking of Brandon shooting, since we've been discussing it a little bit, something else that came out in the last couple of months is body cam footage from the day he was shot at. So when police arrived at Brandon's home. And the thing that's weird is he believes there were two people because he talks about where they were parked and where his car was situated based off of where the other car was. But who else would have been there with Alex, right? Like, was it Melanie? Was Melanie with him? Yeah. He also mentioned to the cop that he thought maybe it was a BB gun. And the officer's like, I don't believe it was. Probably not. It's sad. I mean, imagine being in this situation. Someone tried to just kill you and you're like, maybe it was a BB gun. Maybe it was a paintball gun with Tammy. Like, who would try to shoot at someone? Maybe a little denial going on there. Absolutely. Officers are asking him to, like, do you have any enemies? And he mentions just going through a divorce. And then he also mentions here, there was some crazy stuff that happened with her aunt who killed her husband. Ooh. Yeah. So that poor guy, I just keep putting myself in like Brandon's shoes and how terrified I would be. He also talks about how it looked like it might have been a rifle with a muzzle thing on it. And that would be me trying to describe something. I don't know. It was a long looking gun, had something on it. Something happened. Yeah. Brandon does mention, though, that he had a Nest camera outside. But then later on, he mentioned that it wasn't turned on. And I'm just like, how are these people always so lucky? Oof. Yeah. Right? How? It's not fair. They also mentioned getting together looking for casings from the shooting. Brandon talks about how it was just one shot and that it seemed like they were professional. And so Alex was at the shooting range all the time. It's something that we knew in the back of our head. We always knew that it was Alex, right? Yeah. But now it's like for Shersies, it was Alex. But also, was there someone in that Jeep with him? Exactly. Interesting. So we're going to pivot a little bit and we're going to talk a lot about Melanie. And Melanie is Lori's niece. So she was married to Brandon Boudreaux. And then during all of this going down, they're getting a divorce and she gets married to a new man that she met in Idaho named Ian Pulowski. So in some court documents and some things from like their divorce and all of the things that have happened since then, sometimes you'll see her name as Melanie Boudreaux. And then sometimes you'll see her name as Melanie Pulowski. There are other Melanies in this story. So when you look at things, Melanie with an I is the niece, i.e. is Melanie Gibb, the friend. Yeah. And when we talk about Melanie Gibb, we often call her Gibb because this way we don't have to say Melanie with an I every time we say her name. (laughs) True. Fair. So something else that came out recently is there's an interview with Detective Pilar and it's an interview with Melanie and it was conducted on October 3rd of 2019, which was the day after the attempted murder of Brandon. Yeah. 
And there is a custody battle going on in between all of this. Melanie said that Brandon and her had been married for 11 years and they were in the final stage of their divorce. Melanie was not working at the time and she had gotten money from Brandon in the divorce. They had 50-50 custody at this time. And the reasoning for the divorce was Brandon began traveling more and she also said Brandon started making bad business deals. Brandon made all financial decisions and she noticed that he started acting differently, which she thought may have been related to stress from work. So interestingly, she also said that his behavior had changed and that specifically he had a lot of quote unquote gay activity. And what is this gay activity you might be asking yourself? She said on his phone, she found videos of him dancing with another man, quote unquote, gay pictures. And then she also accused Brandon of doing ecstasy and then said that she thought that because it's a gay drug. Which I didn't know that drugs had a sexual orientation. I don't think anyone did, but Melanie. I didn't know. And of course, Melanie being who she is, she confronted him about it on a family vacation in June of 2019. So she was like, you're gay and you're doing drugs. And he, understandably so, was like, you're crazy and told her to seek mental evaluation. Like, I generally don't think that you should be calling your spouse crazy when they're like bringing up a concern because it it reeks a little bit of gaslighting. But in this particular situation, she was like, you were dancing. And because you're dancing with a man, you're taking ecstasy. Like, it's, it's a really big inference. And weren't those pictures and videos from like a work trip with like yeah. friends from work? It wasn't anything crazy. It was from like a co-worker. And it was probably like, let the man dance, goddammit. <laughs> let the men dance even. So in July of 2019, they filed for divorce. And from then on, they just they really communicated via text only. <laughs> And Melanie alleges that he tried to turn church members and even members of their family against her. And at the time of the interview, the only people from her family who she was talking to was Laurie and Janice. And keep in mind, this is from 2019. So at that point, Melanie was the sole beneficiary on Brandon's life insurance, which like, sure, you might change things right away. But like when you have children, I feel like it's reasonable, even if you're getting a divorce to like maybe keep that. But so one of the stipulations for the divorce mediation was that Melanie would take out life insurance and then name Brandon as the beneficiary. Which is fair. Yeah. Whoever's going to take care of the kids should have the money. So it goes to the kids. Yeah. Unless it's Laurie. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) At the time of the interview, she had not gotten a life insurance policy. So the day of the attempted murder, Brandon dropped off one of their children at Melanie's home that morning. And then Melanie says that she can't remember what they did that day, which was the day before the interview. And then all she said she could remember is ordering groceries online. We are all very familiar with that now. Yeah. Making dinner and then going to bed. Bizarre. A weird day, especially if you have your kid. Yeah. So when asked if she communicated with anyone on October 2nd, she said that she received several calls from Brandon and then a text explaining that he had a bad day and he asked about the kids. Fair. Like, I'm having a bad day. What's the kids up to? Yeah. Melanie responded to his text the next day, so the day of the interview, and noted that it was out of character for Brandon to call her multiple times. When that's out of character, that means something's wrong. So when the detective told Melanie what had happened to Brandon, her expression did not change. Like, wouldn't you be surprised? Oh, my gosh. Someone tried to kill my ex. Even like, a, oh, no. Yeah. 
even that, right? Because, and also, like, here's the thing. Like, even if you do not like this person anymore, one, he's the source of her funds, even if we're thinking selfishly. But two, that's her children's father. So she's going to have to tell her children that something terrible happened, right? Yeah. That should register. Right. And not being phased normally means you already knew that that happened. Yep. At least try to play it again bad criminals, all of them. The detective asked Melanie about whether she knew of anyone that would want to hurt Brandon. And she said she didn't know many of the people in his life, but that he did do business with her uncle, Charles Vallow. Okay. It just doesn't seem to connect, you know, like by this point, Charles was already dead. So not sure. Anyways, she also mentioned an open investigation in the Chandler Police Department regarding Charles and Lori, which, okay, fair. She explained the day that Charles was killed and also explicitly said that Charles tried to hit Tylee with a bat. Tylee's name, though, is blacked out. It's obvious it's Tylee, though. Also, Charles and Brandon spoke frequently, and she tried to get Brandon to stop talking to Charles because she was saying, well, Charles is cheating on Lori. In all caps in our outline, I put, isn't that rich? (laughs) Right. Brandon told her that Charles had been murdered and that it was not self-defense. And Melanie got mad because she thought he was trying to, quote unquote, put a wedge between her and her family. Okay, their family's already all weird and divided and freaking out about everything. It's weird that that's where she would go. You know, like, oh, well, you're trying to take me away from my family. Like, no, that's not anything that's happening, lady. Yeah. So they asked Melanie about who was living together. And she said that she knew Alex and Lori were together, but wasn't sure if Tylee was in college or something. And again, Tylee's name is blacked out, but we assume that's who they're talking about. The weird thing is, I mean, this interview took place in October and it said that Melanie moved to Rexburg, I want to say in like November. So it would have been shortly after this. So I just assume though, like if she's getting ready to make this move, that she probably would have known what was going on with her family. Yeah. And I just think that she knew more than she's letting on. Yeah. I don't know how much she knew, but I I feel like she knew more. She seems like she was in her circle. For sure. So Melanie said she didn't know where Lori or Alex were and that the last time she saw Lori was two weeks before she had moved. Still strange because especially if she moved shortly after to Rexburg, I feel like she knew where they were. The detectives asked for phone numbers, addresses, contact information to try to reach them. Melanie then denies the request and says she knows that with that information, they could track them and use listening devices to gather information. I mean, she's not wrong. The funny thing is, is she's so paranoid about it here. But once she gets married to her new husband, that's pretty much what he did. At the end of the interview, Melanie asks if Brandon was okay, and the detective confirmed he was alive. So like she goes on and on. Wouldn't you think like the second they're like, oh, someone tried to shoot Brandon. Oh, my God. Is he okay? Yes, that would have been the proper reaction. Yeah, like a human. Okay, Amanda, are you ready to talk about a very uncomfortable experience? (laughs) Yep. Okay, so Gilbert police interviewed Brandon and Claudia Ewell on November 5th of 2019, and they were friends of Melanie and Brandon Boudreaux before they split. I don't imagine that they are friends with Melanie now. So as they recounted, on November 1st of 2019, Melanie showed up to the Ewell's home and she said that the Holy Spirit told her that her children were there and that she should go there to collect them. And so that's what she did. Claudia was like, the kids aren't here and even invited her into the house, right? Which I feel like is a very kind thing to do because I would be like, no, and kick rocks, loony, right? Like I would not be (laughs) indulging her, but I'm assuming because they were friends, she was like, come on in, take a look. Your children aren't here. 
Yeah. And so Melanie continued on about the Holy Spirit. She threatened them. And then she said something like, if you know what's good for you, you'll tell me where my kids are. And then left the house and got into a white Kia SUV. Now, they stayed parked in that SUV. And I said they. (laughs) So after 20 minutes, Claudia goes out to speak to Melanie again. And when she gets up to the car, she realizes that it's not just Melanie in there. There's a bald Caucasian man in the driver's seat, Alex, that Melanie referred to as a friend. And the man did not even acknowledge Claudia, like her existence, which weird. Right, weird. And Claudia said she had never seen Melanie act this way. And she was concerned, to say the least, (laughs) with her behavior. And so eventually Alex and Melanie left, then came back. Then Melanie got out of the car again. And then while she's out of the car, she just stood there staring at the house and then left again. She then returned again and parked in the street, remained there for a bit and then left again. I don't know what I would do. I would be wildly uncomfortable, though. And it's weird because you're like, okay, I was friends with this couple. They're getting a divorce. Like, she's probably really stressed out. A lot's going on. So I think maybe she's like, okay, I feel for her a little bit. But then she's like, what the hell is happening? She's actually losing it. Here's the thing, too. If they were friends with Melanie, they were friends with Melanie and Brandon, right? Yeah, I believe that they were more friends with Brandon. So they'd seen him be a parent and likely be, at the very least, an adequate one. He seems like he's like a good parent. But at the very least, they'd seen him be an adequate parent. So her being like, where are my kids and freaking out like that doesn't make sense. Even outside of like everything else, even if she's stressed from the divorce, she shouldn't be like, are my kids safe? And it seems like that's how she was acting. I'm very glad she didn't get her kids. Exactly. I always think when we talk about Melanie, like if she had gotten her kids, what would have happened to them? They would have made it to Rexburg with her. What would have happened? Yeah. I'm sure Brandon thinks about that too. Oh, I'm sure. So let's talk about what happened after this. There's also body cam footage that was released of when Melanie was arrested in Utah in the early hours of November 15th, 2019. And she's arrested for trespassing. So when the cops arrive, she tries to take the role of being a victim and that she was only there to check on her kids. And multiple times, one of the officers says, we already did a wellness check and we told you everything about it over the phone. She continues to deny doing anything wrong. So she's there trying to get her kids from Brandon's parents' house. And she is just all over the place. The police are like, they're fine. We checked on them. They're great. Everything's fine. But this isn't good for them. What you're doing right now is not good for anyone. This isn't fine, ma'am. Yeah. So she claims to have a court order saying that it's her time with the kids and she doesn't know if they're safe. So the officer, of course, starts to get upset and he says, you cannot forcefully come and take the kids. And she was told that she is not to come back on this property. He explains the proper way that she should have gone to get the kids, right? So if you have a court order, there are proper channels Mm -hmm. to obtain your children, but not like this. But also, she called the police to have a wellness check performed. That would have been the time to say, I have a court order. I want my children please go get them. Right. Rather, they were already there checking things out. Right. Yeah, they had already done that prior. So it's like, why didn't you bring that up? And then also they would have checked for that. So I'll get into it a little bit more. She went on about how Brandon was doing drugs again and also brought up that he was getting shot at and how it's not a safe environment for the kids. The police officers then go through her paperwork because remember, she's like, I have a court order. They go through this paperwork that she brought and they're like, "Uh, ma'am, this isn't a court order. It's from mediation. And she sort of points to it and says, well, this is court paperwork. And then they try to go to the vehicle with her, right? Again, there's this SUV. Guess who's sitting in it? Alex is there again. 
she is just like going on and on about, oh, well, my kids, I'm just worried about their safety over and over again. And then the officer, again, he's just like, what? You don't trust us when we just did this wellness check? Because like, why are you going on and on? We just said what your kids were up to, what they were doing. Everything's fine. I mean, like, I can understand not trusting them. But I would say that, like, if you don't trust the police, you shouldn't have called them for the wellness check. You see what I'm saying? Like, if that's not an authority that you would respect, then don't involve them. Right, right. So they chatted the vehicle for a while. And the officer that is wearing the body cam at this point, he doesn't actually approach. So you can't really hear what exactly is going on. But you can hear one officer that says something like, this order isn't signed and that she shouldn't be trespassing. So like everything she's doing is not legal. And this is another point where I'm like, I love that the officer isn't buying her like innocent act. And both her and Lori kind of do these same mannerisms when like approached by police, I've noticed. It's just like, oh, we're innocent, sweet women. We would never do anything wrong. And this one's like, lady, you're trespassing. (laughs) Yeah. He also tells her she's out of her mind at one point. Some cops saw through this, which is just a breath of fresh air. After a while, though, this is a long video. The cop approaches the car and he chats with Alex. Alex really doesn't make eye contact at first, but then they start laughing a bit. Don't like that. And they laugh about how he was coming from Idaho and moving to Idaho from Arizona. I mean, like, I guess like I could understand laughing about leaving Arizona. You know what I'm saying? But that's all. Not during this, but... Yeah, it's a random move. So just a couple takeaways and questions from this video was, why were they really there? Like, what would they have done to those kids, right? Yeah. Was this going to be a second attempt to kill Brandon? Was something that came to my thought. You know, like when Alex shows up, things happen. So I'm like, if Brandon would have walked outside, was the gun still there? Like, what else could have happened? In my head, he was the getaway driver. From one thing that we've seen is that the women don't get their hands dirty. Right. And I don't think she would have, though. But I'm saying she wouldn't have even been there. Maybe. And then, yeah, of course, like, what would have happened to the kids? Had they gone to Rexburg with them? And if so, like, if they would have left then? We know that Lori and Chad were gathering all these people in Rexburg, but didn't have room for kids. We know that also from when Lori went to Hawaii and talked to April, her friend. Yeah. And was like, yeah, but no kids. So bizarre. So just very weird. Stresses me out. Yeah, agreed. So the Gilbert Police Department had a call with Melanie's father. His name's Stephen Cope. And the summary of that is dated April 6th of 2020. And so Stephen discussed when Melanie asked for a divorce. And he said that Melanie had showed him the video and said that Brandon was gay. And as we mentioned before, the video was Brandon on a work trip and it showed him and another guy dancing, as well as several other people. She based the info off the video and a vision she had while she was at Temple. Don't love it. The vision was of a meter that went from zero to G, and G meaning gay. I couldn't even read that with a straight face, let alone say it with a straight face. Could you? (laughs) I mean, I love the imagery of it, like a zero to gay. I love that she thinks that she invented the Kinsey scale. (laughs) Like, that's what I love in this. I don't understand how she had this conversation with her dad. All right. All of this is nonsense. But like, let's say her husband did turn out to be gay. Okay, sure. But like, my justification is I had a vision and I had a meter in my head and the meter went from zero to G and it's a gay meter. Uh, I mean, look, she was excited about that vision. And you know how I know that? It's because, okay, well, first off, obviously in her vision, the little like arm went all the way to G. So he was fully gay. But her father, 
was like, hmm, and questioned her, which like, yeah, we all would. And she cut him off and was like, I had my revelation. You get your own. And so I think she wanted to feel like she had some type of like mystical power. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you be mad if your aunt got to be a translated god being and you weren't anything? I mean, I would at least want to be like a quarter translated being. Yeah, exactly. Well, she has her gay meter. That's the power she got. Yeah. So Brandon described that work trip and said that he was a designated driver for that group and that it was just a work it together and he wasn't gay. Interesting. All gone out with co-workers before. Like, it's nothing weird. I mean, I like that she was like, that means you're gay. Great. I mean, and, and here's the thing, like, even if he was not 100% straight. I'm not saying that he's not, but I'm just saying like, what if he's not 100% straight, which just my opinion, I think very few people are 100% straight. But anywho, that's a conversation for another day. And he was dancing with a coworker. Is dancing cheating? No. Okay. Now, there is a very thin line between dancing and what they describe in Chad's erotica happening in that hotel room, right? Where it's just like, there's clothing, but like, that's the only thing between the two of you. You know what I'm saying? There's no air or room for the Holy Spirit, if you will. But I guess my point is like, it would have to be like a full on like intense grind session for me to be like, that's cheating. I might be like, hmm, it's interesting that you have you have filmed yourself dancing with someone. Like, I think that's a little odd. Think of like Snapchat and things like that. What it could have been. It could have been like, oh, we're having fun at this club or. Yeah. My whole point, though, is that even if he was dancing with like just just a man in a room that would not mean he was gay. That's true. Yeah, exactly. You are, in fact, allowed to dance with anyone who wants to dance back with you. Like, exactly. Anyway, so Steve also discussed Melanie's childhood, her mother and their separation and how he was the one who had custody of her. When asked about Melanie's behavior in the spring of 2019, he said that she started changing in her mood and she started using terms like light and dark spirits, which she hadn't before. She also talked about the second coming and she started using the word warrior more often in her speech. I don't think I'd like that. I'd be really uncomfortable by that. Right. So in 2019, he talked about how his wife, Christy Cope, visited to help Brandon and Melanie move out of the house and that it was a disaster. There were holes in the wall. And every couple of hours while they're trying to do this, Melanie keeps leaving and going to Temple. Odd. So on Christmas Eve, which is December 24th of 2019, Melanie called Steve to ask for a visit. He believes that she was looking for her kids and she came with Ian, who she had recently married. So parts of this section of the summary are redacted. But what we think it says is that during the visit, Steve questioned Melanie about Tylee and JJ and who shot at Brandon. And not surprisingly, she refused to answer about Tylee and JJ. And then with Brandon, she said, how do you know Brandon didn't shoot at his own vehicle? How do you know one of his work buddies didn't shoot at him? Because apparently those who you dance with shoot at you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Makes sense. Steve emphasized on how the world was looking for JJ and Tylee. It was redacted. And he felt that Alex and Lori were cold-blooded murderers. And he is right. And just as a reminder, Melanie is Lori's niece from her sister who had passed away. So Steve is not blood relatives with the Cox family. 
So during this conversation, Melanie cried about the mention of Alex, who had died earlier that month. And Stephen couldn't understand why his daughter was crying over him, especially because he was like, look what they've done. And if I was him, I would be like, oh, God, because if you're mourning him, but you're not freaked out about these children, something's wrong. Yeah, you're in their ballpark. Like you're hanging with them. You're doing this, too. One might say your morality meter is all askew. That's the vision he had. Oh, yeah. Maybe he should have had that vision. So her siblings were in the basement and she asked to go down to Sam. She was down there for a few minutes, then left. And he thought that she was just down there looking for her kids. And then after that, Melanie cut off all contact with her father, which seems like kind of a pattern where if you at any way challenge these thoughts and beliefs, they cut you out, which feels very cult-esque. Exactly. For sure. And that's exactly what Lori did to her brother. Mm -hmm. So Alex did to his brother, Adam. And what they did to his son and what they did to Charles. Exactly. Yeah. It's just interesting because obviously Melanie knows more than she's letting on. Yeah. Like she has to. She's in the circle. Zulema, we brought her up earlier. She knows more for sure. Oh, yes. And so these people, even though they're not the main people we've been discussing, they have a lot to do with it. And I think there's going to be more that comes up, especially from Arizona with these characters as well. Agreed. Agreed. Like I said before, I think she's in her circle. For sure. Yeah. I mean, later she ends up moving next door to Lori in Rexburg, literally next door. So she was definitely part of whatever was happening in Rexburg. Yeah. Now, she didn't live there the entire time. I will say that she probably did arrive after a lot of the stuff happened. But that doesn't mean that she didn't know. Yeah, I think she knew because they also weren't shy about doing things via text. Right. So that wraps up our update for all of our Lori Vallow updates and Chad Daybell and, you know, our our Melanie updates for this one. If you're loving the show, we would really appreciate if you rate, review and subscribe to us. You can rate and subscribe on Spotify and you can leave reviews on Facebook and you can also leave them on Apple Podcasts. You can also subscribe on there, too. If you send us a screenshot of your review and your mailing address, we'll send you a sticker. Yeah, as a thank you. And then if you really love the show, we also have a Patreon. And you can check out the link on our website or any of our social media. We have a lot of different tiers. And we even have a private Facebook group that goes along with it. So we can discuss some of your favorite episodes. If you have questions about things, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And with that, have a great weekend. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. For more information on our sources, please visit our website, truecreeps.com. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at truecreepspod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash truecreepspod, and on Twitter at truecreeps. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps. 